0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of the IWP Files, the Alumni Spotlight Series, where we delve into the successes, the challenges, the advice, and the lessons learned. From a national security graduate's perspective, here is your host, Katie Bridges.
1: My name is Katie Bridges, and today I have the pleasure of hosting Becca a 2010 graduate of the Institute of World Politics from our Master's in Statecraft and National Security Affairs program. Becca is currently working as a police officer with the Arlington County government in Virginia. Um, She has past experience with the Hiring Our Heroes program at the Chamber of Commerce, the U.S.-Russia Foundation, and the Future of Privacy Forum. Um, So Becca, I would love to hear a little bit more about your current work as a police officer.
2: Um, Yeah, well, it's it's kind of a a long story. Um, I kind of had a midlife career change, I guess is the best way to put it. I'd been kind of pursuing like um, operations and chief of staff type work in the nonprofit sector for a long time, um, about 17 years worth. And I just felt like I had kind of been sitting on the sidelines for a really, really long time and that I needed to put some skin in the game in order to make more of a difference. Um, and I was a little bit too old to go back into um, the military. So to me, the next form of service, that's just as important, I believe, is service to your community. Um, so about, I think it was April of last year, I reached out to Arlington County. Um, so I've got some friends who were also over there and started working in the, the hiring process. And it was a long hiring process. I started with them um, January of this year. I went straight to police academy, graduated police academy in June. Um, and now I am still in like the training phase. So I'm not completely solo yet. Um, but hopefully, hopefully fingers crossed here in a couple of months. Um, but it's been a total life change in every way. Um, but I feel like, I feel like, um, a bit more fulfilled, I think is the best way to put it. I feel like I'm actually putting myself in situations that, um, I guess the best way to describe it is I picture myself doing a job that not a whole lot of people would want to do. And I feel like I have skill set that enables me to do that. And if there's a need for something like that and people aren't stepping up to the plate, then it's all the more important for you to do that, if that makes any kind of sense. So it's like a burden. It's a, a very good kind of burden of service that I feel like I'm fulfilling now that was kind of an itch that I'd never really been able able to scratch completely before now. So
1: Michael, That's amazing. Um, thank you for doing it. It's, it is so important. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about the day in the life? I'm not sure how much you're able to share.
2: Yeah, well, right now um, I am training on all three of our shifts. Um, So because the way Arlington runs it and the way most police departments run it, they have a field training process after um, after you graduate police academy. So that just means you're tagged on with another with a training officer when you're out on patrol Um, and they're evaluating you um, constantly, make sure that you're gonna be ready to go solo in a couple of months time. So I started that whole process right after July 4th. And so I'm currently in the second phase of four phases of field training. And I mean, I'm I'm on the street, like doing regular calls. I've got a training officer with me. So they make sure that I don't uh, do anything terribly atrocious. Um, And stay within the confines of the law. And yeah, otherwise, I'm just kind of running it myself. And it's, um, it's extremely humbling. I will say that that's probably the biggest thing. It's been very, very humbling. Obviously, I'm not 22 years old. Um, I'm much older than my colleagues. Um, And it's very, um, it's very humbling to start over and learn new things. From other folks, and just kind of keep an open mind about everything. Um, but yeah, old dogs can learn new tricks. I think.
1: <laughs> Good for you, Becca. That's amazing. Do you feel ready yeah. to do it on your own?
2: Uh, give me a couple more months, and I will. <laughs> I will. It's funny because the shifts are so different. So I, I finished up um, evening shift, which runs from about like lunchtime to about eleven p.m. That was my first shift, and that was. Great. I learned a lot. Um, and now I'm on the midnight shift. So it's kind of like, I don't know if you've ever seen the show, um, Stranger Things, but it's kind of like living in the upside down world. Uh, everything looks completely different at night in Arlington. And every situation I feel like is completely different than how I learned it in the daytime. So it's been a little bit of a mind bender um, in terms of this, in addition to just getting used to the crazy schedule of sleeping in the daytime and working all night. Um, but I'll rotate off of that phase here in a couple more weeks, and then I'll go to a different shift. So we train on all the shifts before we're permanently assigned to one particular shift based on the needs of the department. So,
1: so then you'll get permanently assigned to either the day or the night or, okay.
2: Yeah. Day work, night work, or, um, midnights, midnights would be rough on me, but
1: (laughs) we'll find out. Good luck. And are you keeping up here? I know you're a triathlete. Are you, are you still doing that sort of thing?
2: Um, I am still doing that. I kind of had to put all of that on pause this year. Um, I actually did my first race in nine months yesterday, um, and that was awesome. It felt so good to get back out there. Uh, that's definitely a part of my life that I've been severely missing this year. Um, but I did my last Ironman um, in November of last year with the intention of it being my last one for a while, knowing that this new career would kind of take over at least in 2023 it would take over my entire life um and that has been true so i'm hoping maybe in 2024 i'll have the stability and flexibility to kind of get back into racing a bit more um i did start coaching at our my crossfit gym last year so i'm hoping to get back into coaching again as well once this phase of training's over with but sports are such a huge huge part of my life and I have learned that to be even more so this year because I've just severely been missing that aspect, that outlet. So um, I'm really hoping to get back into that a little bit more competitively next year.
1: Man, I hope you're able to. Yeah. Well, very cool. Well, for the for the benefit of our listeners, I would also love to hear a little bit about your work as a, in your chief of staff and operations roles, because I know that you were doing some really yeah. significant work in in those roles as well. And I'd love to hear,
2: you know, what was it like to be a chief of staff? Yeah, I think, um, I'd say probably the the role as a chief of staff or the organization that I learned and grew the most in was probably when I was at the U S Russia foundation. Um, it was a really interesting time. I was there from 2017 to the end of 2021. And, um, It was just a really interesting time in terms of, obviously, what was going on in the world um, with regards to Russia, Um, the type of work that we were doing. um, USRF had been kind of kicked out of Russia proper back in 2015, um, along with many other nonprofits um, that kind of made like the blacklist of organizations that the Kremlin wanted nothing to do with. Um, so USRF got kicked out of Russia and I was hired to really kind of help things get get restarted back in DC. Um, so my boss at the time, um, Dr. Celeste Wallander, she and I really just rebuilt the place from the ground up in, in DC and hired new staff and created um, like a different way of, of doing our grant making programs. And it was just You know, I can't say enough great things about Dr. Wallander because she's just such a tremendous, she was a tremendous leader and she just really empowered me to be able to do all kinds of, wear all kinds of hats within that one role as a chief of staff. And most chiefs of staff do wear a bunch of different hats, but she just trusted me and there was no micromanagement. It was like, hey, this is what we need to do. Go do it. And she just supported me every step of the way. And I learned so much about, you know, the financial aspect of running an organization and or running a nonprofit. And then obviously, you know, the grant making process of our particular organization and then, um, HR, I was running the HR side of things. And that's a whole different ball game too, you know, managing people and the intricate relationships between employees and managing disputes. It was a bunch of different things that, um, I was getting to do, but I just, it was a wonderful role for me. And I loved my time there. Um, and I really loved working with Celeste. She's, um, uh, she's assistant secretary of defense now over at the Pentagon. So that's, that's kind of what precipitated my departure was she was getting tapped to go into the administration and I had been there for a few years and I thought, you know, it might be time to do something else. So it's been, it was, it was great. I loved the time there. And I loved I've had a bunch of different jobs in DC, but I'd say USRF and um, the job I had prior to that, working um, at the U.S. Chamber of Commerce Foundation with um, hiring our heroes. Those are probably the two most impactful roles I've had up to now. Um, and there's there's been many days when I've thought back on the hiring our heroes days and been like, man, that was a really good run. I loved that so much. It was also one of those jobs where I felt like the work that we did actually made a difference in people's lives. Um, and so I will always be very, very proud of my time there. And hopefully one of these days, um, you know, working with veteran nonprofits is still very near and dear to my heart. I'm a huge uh, supporter of the Navy SEAL Foundation. I I um, participate in their swimming fundraiser every year on the Frogman Swim. And my hope is that um, eventually uh, either – in conjunction with my law enforcement career or perhaps, you know, many years from now, um, when I if I, if and when I switch over to something else, my hope is to be involved once again in like nonprofit work with with veterans and first responders now having been a first responder myself um, and continue to make an impact in that way, I think. Um, I think the work that many nonprofits do uh, is very, very much underestimated, but they really do make an impact in people's lives. And that's important to me.
1: Just, so just for our listeners who may not be familiar, could you tell us about the different grants and the, the, the type of work that the U.S.-Russia Foundation has been doing?
2: Yeah. So um, at least during my time there, uh, we this was before the Ukraine um, invasion. I left by the time that happened. Um, But up until that point, we were making grants in the areas of rule of law, um, civil society type projects, um, rules based market economy type work. So the foundation was created back in 2008 to really support those efforts in terms of um, funding programs that benefit Russians um, in those areas. So, for example, there were... um, exchange type programs for law students, Russian law students to come over to the U S and come to, um, a few different universities and participate in those types of programs. It was a law exchange program, um, or supporting, you know, small, um, entrepreneurship efforts in Russia. And, um, there was, uh, at least in terms of the, my, Last few months at um, at USRF, we were looking at supporting like the Russian diaspora in the United States. So there's been a significant amount of brain drain of uh, very smart and capable um, and industrious Russian citizens leaving Russia because of the environment and coming over to the U.S. There's a huge presence um, in Silicon Valley. And so we were talking about, um, you know, getting involved in like STEM efforts to kind of promote those types of programs supporting the Russian diaspora in um in the US. So I believe um I believe USRF is doing some work to support um the Ukrainians that have been affected by the invasion. I believe they got special permission to do that because the funding was always um focused specifically on Russia and we weren't allowed to deviate from that. Um but I believe don't don't quote me on this. I believe they got a uh, special permission to kind of do some tangential work supporting um, Ukrainians who were affected by the invasion.
1: Well, thank you. Thank you for sharing. Yeah, I, I did take a peek and it looks like they're also supporting Russian people who are speaking out against the invasion. So yes, yes, they the,
2: the the board condemned the invasion. And yes.
1: And you mentioned the hiring our heroes program. And so I'd love to hear a little bit more about that in your role, um, whenever you were working there.
2: Yeah. So I feel like I'm probably confusing people a little bit because I'm kind of going backwards in time as opposed to picking a time and rolling forward. Um, But I was with um, Hiring Our Heroes from 2014 to 2017. And Hiring Our Heroes is a program under the U.S. Chamber of Commerce Foundation. So there's the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, like the 501c6 side, and then there's the foundation, the 501c3 side. And Hiring Our Heroes is a program that falls under the foundation side. And that program was created in 2011 back when um, veteran unemployment rates were at an all-time high. Um, and the gentleman who started that program really saw and recognized a need to help um, transitioning 9-11 veterans in particular, um, help help them find jobs in civilian world because that was that's such a huge change um, for any service member who's getting out. I mean, my own brother is is going through that in the next year and he's, t- you know, understandably filled with a lot of anxiety about it. So our role was really to help bridge that gap between military service and finding that right fit in the civilian world for their employment means. And, you know, the program started out with um, hosting hiring fairs and that was really their bread and butter. Um, over the years, it developed into offering those transitional services, um, working with military spouses. I did some work um, with focused on caregivers because a lot of um, our veterans had, uh, you know, they've, they've experienced uh, many different wounds, both visible and invisible. Um, so we were working with a lot of caregivers who were charged with, um, you know, being the breadwinner for their family, but also taking care of their wounded veteran loved one. Um, and the Elizabeth Dole Foundation did a lot of work with us on that. Um, they're a great, great group. But as as far as I know, Hiring Our Heroes is still doing their, their wonderful, great things um, and finding new and ingenious ways to help service members. Um, Thankfully, those unemployment numbers have come down significantly since since 2011. Um, But, yeah, they're they're out there doing God's work, certainly um, helping helping service members find that niche in civilian world with the objective of of it being, you know, not just a plug and play type thing. Right. You don't necessarily want someone getting out of the military, just thrust them into a job just because it's a job. You really want to help them find you know, what it is that they're good at and where it is they feel that they would be kind of like me, feel fulfilled, kind of like what everybody's looking for. Um, So it was very meaningful work. And I was on the road a lot. um, And I loved that. It It was a really fantastic time and a lot of great people that I got to meet and work with. So it will always be a very special, special place to me.
1: So I know that you went to IWP, you got the MA in Statecraft and National Security Affairs. I understand you were planning to go into the intelligence world when this Hiring Our Heroes awesome opportunity came up. And I'd love to hear about, you know, whether I feel like people apply the IWP education in so many different career fields and you have had, you know, two, basically two big career paths right now. And I'd love to hear, you know, have you been using your education um, you know, either in hiring your heroes, your chief of staff work, and then, you know, whether it's it's applicable at all to your police work?
2: Yeah, um, that is a great question. I feel like the most, um, prior to now, the most I used my degree was when I was w- working with USRF, the US Russia Foundation, for obvious reasons. Um, my degree was obviously in national security affairs um, with that specialization in, in intelligence, but I really spent most of my time while I was at IWP focused on Russia and Eastern Europe. And I can remember, you know, back in 2007, I can remember a bunch of people kind of making fun of me at the time saying like, why are you, why do you care about Russia? Like Russia, that's, that's the cold war. No one really cares about that anymore. You should be studying Farsi and focused on the Middle East and i was i stuck to my guns i was like you know what russia is always going to be a major player you just wait and here we are <laughs> so um working with usrf was really uh, a fantastic opportunity for me to apply my degree in terms of what i got to study but also the things that i knew from my educational background that that people that I was working with in my organization didn't necessarily know. And my boss, who is uh, infinitely smarter than me in those areas because she's a subject matter expert, um, it helped me really connect with her in terms of what she wanted to accomplish with the program a lot more because I did have that understanding. Um, And it also helped me understand um, our employees. You know, we had several employees that were native Russians that had become U.S. citizens. Um, but as weird as it sounds, like my degree and the time that I spent at IWP really studying that area helped me connect with them a little bit more. Um, because obviously it's, it's a big thing to leave your home country and come to a new country and become a citizen there and work in a lot of ways, um, to support organizations that your home country's government is not necessarily favorable towards. So it took a lot of courage on their part to do that. I'd say that's probably the number one area where I felt like I applied my degree the most. Arlington uh, County Police Department, we have a Homeland Security Task Force because we work so closely with um, the National Capital Region. I would hope the opportunity might come um, eventually one of these days that I might be able to pursue that career path in terms of working with the task force. I think just strictly speaking on, on educational background, that would be a good fit for me. But, you know, it's all based on the needs of the department and and what kind of opportunities arise. So that would be a goal of mine. We'll see if that comes to comes to fruition. Um, I have really no way of knowing that right now. But the intelligence field, um, I'd say that's probably the one last little thing that I feel like I haven't quite checked that box completely. So, (laughs) you know, we'll see, we'll see what the future holds. We'll see. But for now, um, I am, I'm very happy to be pursuing this, this line of work. And I feel like it's, it's the right fit for me. So. We'll Um, never say never, but we'll see.
1: (laughs) So, so what advice would you give to someone who is thinking about becoming a police officer? Um, I know oh you're man. just starting out Whew. in your career there, so it may be a hard question. Yes.
2: Um, I would say that you are going to meet some of your best friends um, getting in that line of work. I met some truly wonderful people at the Police Academy in particular, um, and Northern Virginia Criminal Justice Academy they host, um, about 17 different agencies. So, uh, I was out there with Alexandria and Manassas city and metropolitan Washington airports authority and Metro transit. So there were a bunch of different agencies represented out there. Um, and I just met some truly wonderful people who have servants hearts who are just, you know, in many cases, they, um, pushed back against friends and family members who said, why would you ever want to be a cop? Like this is a terrible idea. And they pursued it anyway. I know personally, I, I had some challenges with my family in terms of, of making this career change. Um, they're now fully supportive. At first, we had a few bumps, um, but they've been very supportive now and um, they're wonderful. So I would say... Advice wise, just be prepared to work really hard, um, be prepared for many different reactions to, for people to have many different reactions. I found that Arlington, our citizens, um, and community members are generally very supportive of us. Um, but that's not always going to be the case, right? Um, we're fortunate in Arlington that we have that, but a lot of communities don't necessarily have that, um. That you're gonna get plenty of people having an opinion on what it is that you do, and um, you're gonna have plenty of people be very appreciative of you, and plenty of people, you know, basically spit in your face. So it's it's very, for me, it's been very humbling dealing with those realities. But it's also been very humbling being 38 years old and starting over in a brand new career, really from the bottom up, um, and just learning completely different things and what was it? Is it um, Rumsfeld that talked about the known unknowns and the unknown unknowns and being being aware of those things? I'm, I'm very aware of the things that I don't know. <laughs> so um, being cognizant of that and um, just kind of keeping that in the back of your mind, but always keeping an open mind to learning new things. That's probably my biggest set of advice. That and have... Um, Have a support system, whether it's those friends um, that you've that you've made in your career, but I think it's also for me, like sports is a huge part of my balance. Um, so my support system is my family and loved ones, um, but it's also very much like being physically active. Um, and without that balance, I think you can have a lot of struggles um in terms of not being able to turn things off or get a break and get away from the work lifestyle. So um, figure out what it is that you need to create that balance in your life. I think that's extremely important because that's gonna, it's gonna help you be a better police officer, but it's also gonna help you um, maintain the relationships around you because those can also take a hit um, in a very stressful work environment like this. So support system, very key. Mental health can't can't speak highly enough of it so it's very important
1: we have a few other alumni um, who work with the police in Alexandria and Fairfax so I should make sure that you're introduced to them if you don't really know them yeah um, absolutely but do you do you have any advice for someone who's looking to get into the operations side of nonprofits
2: um advice there find a mentor find someone that you really really admire um, And just have those conversations continuously. And I don't, I think in DC, we kind of fall into the trap of, well, it's all about who you know and where they can move you around because it's always a chess match, right? But in terms of nonprofit work, I'd say it's more focused on finding someone that you really respect, who's a good leader, who knows how to motivate and empower and really grow the organization and be fiscally responsible and find those good people and, and reach out to them. And uh, really, you know, I, I've mentioned her name several times, but Dr. Wallander, she was just such a huge influence on me in terms of what a good leader looks like and how to be an effective one in that type of a role. And, you know, just talk to them, be honest with people, share your story and say, you know, there's no point in beating around the bush, tell them where you want to go, what you want to do. And see what they have to say in terms of advice, and um, uh, professional development opportunities. Seize those every opportunity, every chance that you get. Um, USRF and several of the organizations I've worked for were very supportive and put money towards employees having those professional development opportunities. Whether it be, you know, language skills for me, I took some more Russian classes, um, or you know. Learning, I did like a nonprofit financial and accounting class too, you know. Um, or we had a great opportunity to go to the Disney Leadership Institute, which is fantastic. I can't say enough good things about that, but just taking advantage of those opportunities as they're presented. Um, if your organization offers those professional development opportunities, do it. Like get those credentials, find a good leader, find a good mentor, and just, you know, start working, work hard. I mean, that's really the basic advice for every job in life is you got to work hard if you want it. So nothing's going to be given to you.
1: (laughs) Awesome. Thank you. And I have one more advice question that I like to ask all of our alumni, and it's specific to new students at IWP. What advice would you give to a new student who is just joining the Institute to get the most out of their education?
2: You know, when I was at IWP, we didn't have as many different fields of study uh, or credentials that I know are offered now. Um, I would say kind of like what I said for the pursuing like job opportunities, but finding a mentor, finding a professor that you connect with really well. Um, If there's maybe you're going to school um, or going to get that degree to further an employment opportunity. You know, find an instructor that you really connect with um, and have those conversations about getting into that career field or how to navigate it. For me, um, those two fantastic uh, mentors that I had, they've sadly both passed now, but Bob Steffen and Brian Kelly, like they were tremendous, uh, tremendous influence on my educational career there. And I stayed in touch with them. After I graduated and I would still be in touch with them now um, if they were still here, but really connecting with those instructors and um, learning from them. Just you have to be a sponge, right? I mean, obviously, because you're studying, but be a sponge to the people that are around you. Because you really, iron sharpens iron, you get smarter from the folks that are around you and learning from them. You also get smarter from obviously learning from your instructors and their own experiences. It's all about like gaining that wisdom that you need to succeed. So
1: very cool. Thank you, Becca. That's that's great advice. Well, thank you so much for talking with us today. It's been so interesting to hear about all of the different work that you've been doing and I truly wish you all the best in this new career.
2: It's, it's very exciting. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that.
0: Thank you for joining us on this episode of the IWP Files, the Alumni Spotlight Series. We hope you enjoyed our insightful conversation today. If you found this episode inspiring, educational, or simply entertaining, we'd love your support to keep our show going strong. First and foremost, don't forget to hit that subscribe button right now, wherever you're listening to us. Subscribing ensures you never miss an episode and helps us reach even more listeners like you. We'd be thrilled if you could share the IWP files with your friends, family, and colleagues. It's a fantastic way to introduce them to our engaging alumni stories and thought-provoking discussions connect with us on social media. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at the IWP and online at IWP.edu. We love hearing from our listeners. Our podcast is made possible by the Institute of World Politics in Washington, DC. If you're passionate about international affairs, national security, intelligence, and the art of statecraft, visit IWP.edu to learn more about our programs and events. Finally, if you have any thoughts or suggestions, don't hesitate to reach out to us. We value your feedback and ideas. Thank you once again for tuning into the IWP Files, the alumni spotlight series. We'll be back with more fascinating stories and insights from our alumni. Until then, stay curious and stay engaged.